Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious, he'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy Rails tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Tommy Vitor. Later in the pod, Tommy talks to J.D. Scholten, the Democrat running for Congress in Iowa's 4th District against Republican Steve King, who's actually a white nationalist. He's a her- terrible, terrible person. Like, actually a white nationalist. Yeah. When, when asked if he was a white nationalist or a white supremacist, he actually did not deny either. And, and every... He was Ted Cruz's national campaign co-chair. Mm-hmm. Paul Ryan lets him in every meeting they ever have with the caucus. They fundraise with them. Everyone kisses his ass. During the Iowa caucuses, that's your party, Republicans. So that's you're going to be hearing from J.D. Scholten, who's trying to take him on. He's got an uphill climb, despite all that, uh, because it's a pretty conservative district of Iowa and Iowa. But uh, Tommy has a good conversation with him. Tommy, who are you interviewing for Pod Save the World this week? Uh, back I mean, in the saddle. Man, back in the saddle. Well, you know, there's a lot going on. I'm going to talk to uh, Mehdi Hassan, who is a fantastic writer and podcaster to The Intercept and Al Jazeera. I wanted to talk about... Um, this ongoing dust up of Saudi Arabia and, and more importantly focus on what they're actually doing in Yemen because it's a humanitarian catastrophe yeah. and I don't think it's getting the attention it, it's due. I'm also trying to figure out if I can figure out a way to talk about what just happened in Brazil somehow because that election is frightening. So I really want to hear about that. Okay, Stay tuned then, John. Okay. Uh, everyone should also check out this week's Love It or Leave It, which was hosted by our pal Aaron Ryan. Fantastic. So check that out. And we will be in Irvine, California on Friday for the last of four midterm specials for HBO. We just were in Philadelphia. Great show. Check that out. It's now on HBO Go and HBO Now, so you can check that out. And check out the last one in Irvine. Yeah, and Chrissy Houlihan's really cool. Check out her campaign. She's inspiring. She's she's one of those people you meet and you're like, oh, not only am I excited about your election, I'm excited for someone like you to have the job and do it better and be smart on policy. She's brilliant. She's brilliant. She's outstanding. And she was a great guest in Philly. Finally, we are eight days out from the election. So please go to votesaveamerica.com. Download a copy of your ballot. You can fill it out. You can find information about ballot measures and the candidates on your ballot and make a plan to vote. You can figure out exactly when you're going to vote, where you're going to vote. We'll send you personal reminders on your calendars. There is no excuses. No excuse. Um, also, our pals at Civis Analytics. This is uh, some of the data people that helped Obama uh, win two terms. Cool nerds. Cool nerds. They've helped us identify 20 house races. And here's the deal with these house races. They are both very close. Yeah. And they are also in cheaper media markets. Right. Which means that if you donate to these races, you'll have a bigger bang for your buck and you can help these Democrats get over the finish line. So we, we put this link out on Friday. It's votesaveamerica.com slash donate. And we expect it to, you know, hopefully fundraise a couple a couple hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm. six hundred thousand dollars we're already at right now unbelievable thanks to you guys since since friday so um and and a lot of these candidates in these races have reached out to us since then and they've been overwhelmed by the support some of them said that like they're almost running out of money and these checks came in and that helps them over the finish line these are re- these yeah. are races we can really win this means the difference between being unable to respond to paul ryan's disgusting super pack ads yep. or or you know getting your message on the air it means maybe hiring one last organizer to knock doors to get out there and, and to get voters to the polls so it's like it, the impact is so big with these donations in, in this late stage. Yeah, so please donate. All right, let's get to the very sad and enraging news today. On Saturday, a gunman used an AR-15 to kill 11 Americans who were attending a bris at a Pittsburgh synagogue. Um, half a dozen more people were wounded. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League called the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue the single deadliest anti-Semitic attack in the history of the United States. The man arrested by authorities told a SWAT team officer that, quote, he wanted all Jews to die, and he also had nearly two dozen guns registered to his name, because that's what we allow here in the United States. Tommy, what else do we know about what led to the shooter, whose name is Robert Bowers, to launch this attack at this particular moment? We know that he believed uh, that the Jews 
quotes, uh, are working to destroy America by bringing in immigrants. Uh, and so I believe that that conspiratorial, crazy, whatever you want to call it, belief uh, is directly tied to the idea that you're seeing in the mainstream media that there is a caravan of people coming to invade our country full of gang members yep. and ISIS, like the president says, and that George Soros, who is a billionaire financier uh, who happens to be Jewish, who has been demagogued by the Republican Party for decades, is paying for that caravan yep. and like secretly slipping in. So it doesn't require using a slur to be anti-Semitism. If you're talking about how globalists are controlling the media or our politics, we know damn well what you're saying, Steve Bannon. You're saying the Jews are in charge. The globalist Jews are, are running the media or they're bringing it, they're subverting our democracy somehow. This is a disgusting anti-Semitic slur. We should call it for what it is. Uh, and this has been part and parcel of Republican Party's messaging in some places for a long time. And Trump is just mainlining this extremism. Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't think we can emphasize the link to the caravan conspiracy enough here. Yep. Last week, it started last week, Matt Gates, Florida congressman. The dumbest person on the fucking planet. Again, he is, is a frat paddle come to life, I believe is Lovett's line. Yeah. He is a deplorable idiot, but he's dangerous. Well, and the, again, I mean, like so many of these people, this is not someone who, who knows, but like that genuinely believes. This is, this is like a rich dude who went to, you know, a college and everything like that. He, he knows better. And he just decided to cast his lot with the far right and the white nationalist Donald Trump because he knew it would help his career. People who know him, people who know him, be like, this guy knows exactly what he's doing, but he's just doing this purely for his own ambition. And you may have heard of him before because he invited a Holocaust denier to be his guest at the State of the Union. That's right. So That's he, what a good guy Matt Geitz is. So he started this whole thing last week by saying, by uh, tweeting a fake picture. Uh, it wasn't real. It wasn't actually the caravan saying this is the caravan. George Soros has funded this caravan. Yeah, Soros question mark. Right. Just asking questions. And in, Fuck the, you. in the in the caravan are dangerous people who are coming to the United States. That, of course, went on to Fox from Fox. It goes to the president of the United States. Yeah, his think tank. Fox yeah. and friends. So now we have the president of the United States telling everyone that the caravan that is that is a thousand a thousand miles away from the border is filled with Middle Easterners, uh, dangerous people possibly terrorists, all this kind of stuff, and that it's possibly funded by the Democrats. Yep. And so now what happened was on Gab, which is a social media platform used by many white supremacists and neo-Nazis, glad we have one of those, yeah. Bowers, who's the guy who uh, did the shooting, recently complained after all this last week that Jews were helping transport members of the migrant caravans, called a Jewish organization that helps refugees a sugar-coated evil, and then finally said... I don't care about the optics. I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go do this thing. And now we have this, this mass shooting. Tommy, what do we know in general about rising anti-Semitism over the last few years? Um, the ADL reported in February that the number of anti-Semitic incidents was nearly 60% higher in 2017 than in 2016. That is the largest single year increase on record and the second highest number reported since the ADL started tracking incident data in the 1970s. And of course, this coincided with Donald Trump's campaign in 2016 mm -hmm. and then Donald Trump's presidency in 2017. Yep. So the question is, does Trump bear any responsibility for this rise in anti-Semitism? The White House obviously says not at all. They point to his statements condemning the attack in Pittsburgh, which, according to The New York Times, were written by his Jewish daughter and his Jewish son-in-law, Ivanka, Trump and Jared Kushner. Uh, who I guess had to persuade him to condemn these in super harsh terms, which is always comforting. Um, but what do you think? What what sort of connections, if any, can we draw from Trump's presidency, Trump's rhetoric to sort of these rising attacks? I think that the key to understanding the link between Trump and these fringe anti-Semitic extremists is just listening to what the fringe anti-Semitic extremists say. And they take solace when in, in Charlottesville, uh, he blames both sides or doesn't condemn them. They look to him and they're inspired and they see leadership and, and they feel emboldened by him. When he calls himself a nationalist, these right-wing nationalist parties have been blaming Jews for all their problems for centuries. They know damn well what it means. When Steve Bannon sits his fat ass in the White House for six months as the chief strategist, they look to him for leadership. When he's inviting these Pizzagate lunatics into briefings and, you know, these people are walking around making the like, okay, 
white nationalist sign. And, and they so like what drives me crazy about this is, you know, there are all these people that say, oh, they're just trolling. Uh, you know, they're just they're trying to, you know, own the libs by making these signs like you are what you do, you yeah. know. And then on and then the response, like, I think it drives me nuts. And I think the African-American community has dealt with for, for a very long time as well. It's like when you point out something as racist or anti-Semitic, I think people are think that that's like the the worst thing you could ever say about someone, that they are racist or they're an anti-Semite. And they act like pointing out the facts and making that charge is somehow worse than the original incident. We need to call this for what it is. Right. I mean, to paraphrase Andrew Gillum, I'm not saying he's an anti-Semite. Right. I'm saying the anti-Semites right. think he's an anti-Semite. Julia Yaffe, a uh, friend of the pod, wrote uh, a really great piece for the Washington Post about all of this that you should go check out. But she basically, you know, sort of laid out sort of Trump's uh, evolution on this. In 2016, he joked at a meeting of the Republican Jewish Coalition that it wouldn't support him, quote, because I don't want your money. During the campaign, he tweeted a picture of Hillary Clinton superimposed on a Star of David over dollar bills. After Julia published a profile of Melania, which the White House didn't like, she was deluged with anti-Semitic threats. Uh, Trump was asked to condemn those attacks on Yaffe from his supporters. And he said, quote, I don't have a message for them. And of course, as you pointed out, the worst example is Charlottesville. People marching in Charlottesville chanting, Jews will not replace us. Yep. And Donald Trump saying there were fine people on both sides. I want a reporter. This is very simple. To ask Donald Trump, ask Sarah Huckabee Sanders, ask anyone at the White House today, does the president still believe that the people in Charlottesville who were chanting, Jews will not replace us, were fine people, that there were fine people among those marching. I want someone to ask him that question, because if they really say he's not anti-Semitic, that he condemns this kind of attacks, that he condemns the kind of hate that leads to these attacks, then then they will answer, the president will answer, you know what, I don't believe they were fine people. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But he won't because he hasn't, because nothing has changed since Charlottesville. The only thing that's changed is somehow, like, the news moves so fast that our collective memory doesn't really remember the fact that in Charlottesville, he issued these horrible, horrible statements and has not apologized for them. Right. I mean, there was an article last year uh, where uh, I think it was The Independent of the UK, where Trump suggested that Jews might be secretly committing anti-Semitic hate crimes on themselves so that he looks bad. Uh, I forgot about that one, that, too. That's real. I mean, Adam Serwer, who writes for The Atlantic, uh, wrote, I think, as crystal clear a piece about how the spark for the worst anti-Semitic massacre in American history was a racist hoax that was kind of came through the weird Twitter ecosystem through Lou Dobbs and then got on Fox and Friends and then got to the president. And he decided that he was going to demagogue a caravan of desperate people because he thought it was going to be an election issue. That inspired this individual to do what he did, Yeah. period. You know, I keep thinking like, because the Republican line is, well, no one can control what their supporters do on either side. And there's bad, and there's rhetoric on both sides that's gotten out of hand, right? But what would we be saying right now if these perpetrators of these crimes or this hate and this violence that we've seen over the last week were Muslim? Exactly. What would we be doing if there was a connection to ISIS? Wouldn't we say that, that ISIS propaganda inspired some of these people who said, I'm doing this in the name of ISIS, which we've seen all the time. Of course. And and we would be calling on every single Muslim on the planet to denounce this act and to do better somehow and to somehow fix the problem. I mean, these these people are, these right wingers are incapable of looking within their party, within themselves and seeing the harm that's being created here. And so it's not just Trump. The NRCC, after George Soros was sent an IED, a pipe bomb, Uh, They put up an ad attacking George Soros. GOP leader Kevin McCarthy tweeted, we cannot allow Soros, Steyer, and Bloomberg to buy this election. Gee, what do those three guys have in common? Yeah. No, I mean, look, it is true that a politician or a leader cannot control what his or her supporters do all the time. There are people who will, will do crazy things, will do horrible things all the time. But you can control your own words and your own actions. They like to point out, oh, it was a Bernie Sanders supporter that shot Steve Scalise and he was doing it because they were Republicans, right? That is correct. And yet, can you point to a single word that Bernie Sanders has ever said, or any Democrat, that told people to commit violence. Can you do that to Donald Trump? Yes. How many times did he say he was going to pay the legal bills of his supporters who beat people up at rallies? Um, How many times has he said, 
uh, today, today, he called the press the enemy of the people. Yep. How many times in his stump speech has he called Democrats evil and crazy? He says it every single day. Democrats don't do that. No. Nope. I, I, it also worries me because there you see this a lot among like young men in particular. There was a big part of the appeal of Trump was he's just trolling. He's talking shit. He's generally anti-establishment. And I get why like anti-establishment sentiments are appealing to young people. In the 60s, it was you're anti-war, right? Yeah. This is a different time. But that stuff can has manifested itself online in dark ways. I mean, there's racist, anti-Semitic jokes uh, that pop up on Gab or 4chan or, God forbid, like the Daily Stormer. And when people, you know, it's sort of like a race to the bottom to see who we can offend and, and like upset the libs. But I think that that stuff lulls you into thinking it's acceptable. And some people see that stuff and, and go further and further and further. I mean, Timothy McVeigh, the white nationalist Oklahoma City bomber, was inspired by anti-Semitic books and teaching. And he perpetrated a horrific terrorist act. So, like, we need to we need to keep an eye on these things and we need to understand that leadership comes from the very top and you can't tell me that Barack Obama singing amazing grace in a church wasn't an important healing moment and the lack of that grace or any kind of unity in our country it's like you can feel it or get take George W Bush right right who will go down in history as one of the worst presidents because uh the Iraq war was one of the biggest catastrophes yeah. that any president has ever led us into okay but George W Bush made a point of condemning attacks on Muslims, made a point of saying the Muslim religion is a peaceful religion. And whether it's George Bush, whether it's Ronald Reagan, whether it's any Republican president, when they were, if their supporters started attacking people, you wouldn't be able to draw the same kind of links that you can no. draw with Donald Trump. No. And Republicans fucking know this. Of course they do. They know it damn well. Like, and so like whether it's Barack Obama or George Bush, whatever, like for some reason, these anti-Semitic people, these racist supporters, they look at Donald Trump and they think he's one of them. Totally. After Charlottesville, they said, we think he's on our side. We know he eventually had to condemn it, but they forced him to condemn him. And we really and know he's on our side. And walked back. What other president <laughs> no have, have anti-Semites and racists ever said that about? And it drives me crazy, the people that are elevated in the media because they're sort of Trump fans or sycophants. Like Eric Erickson, lame blogger. Two weeks ago tweeted, it's not a coincidence that this caravan to the south of us is happening two weeks before our federal elections. He was on Meet the Press this Sunday. Great booking, guys. Yeah. Uh, Lou Dobbs, who is a particularly virulent brand of washed up and intolerant, had a guy on from Judicial Watch who said, talked about the Soros-funded State Department financially backing the caravan. It was so bad that Fox actually had to pull the episode and banned the guest in perpetuity. But like, those are the people that Donald Trump watches. Those are the people he calls on the phone during his nine hours of executive time, which is code for him sitting around and tweeting and calling his buddies. Right. We have like a part time president who, you know, in the time he actually does work, just divides the nation as, as thoroughly as he possibly can. If the president of the United States and Republicans in Congress truly believed that this these kind of attacks and this kind of hate and stuff like that um, was awful and they wanted to condemn it they could decide to comport themselves differently in these final weeks of the election, right? Instead, this is what happened. This is Trump's, let's talk about Trump's general response mm -hmm. to um, not just what happened in Pittsburgh, but um, all of the incidents of hate and violence last week. In addition to the worst anti-Semitic massacre in the United States history, we saw a mass assassination attempt of Democratic leaders and the murders of two African-Americans in Kentucky by a gunman authority say tried to enter a predominantly black church in the moments before the attack. The president has responded to these incidents by continuing to hold political rallies and send tweets where he attacks his opponents, attacks the very people who were sent mail bombs, George Soros, Tom Steyer, Tom Steyer Maxine Waters, and attacks the media as the enemy of the people, which he did this morning. Mm -hmm. And Republicans, at the same, they're, as you said, they continue to run these ads from the Congressional Leadership Fund, which is Paul Ryan Super. What is going on here? Why are they doing this? I, I, I cannot fathom it. I cannot fathom it. And like, just a quick aside, one conversation we're not having, which is very frustrating, is about gun control. Yeah. And you know, when 58 people were killed in the Las Vegas massacre, 500 of them injured, he promised he'd take action on bump stocks and background checks and all these things, but he did absolutely nothing. And here we are again, another guy with an AR-15 shooting up a community. But I mean, to your broader point, I, I, like they gave up so long ago 
on checking him in any way. And I don't think they will find any courage until we win in the midterms. That's our only hope. Well, so, like they, they could very easily have said, you know what? This has all gotten too far. We don't want the votes of racists. We don't want the votes of anti-Semites. And you know what? In, this la- in these last weeks, let's make this an election about issues. We're going to have uh, ads up about tax cuts, about immigration, about the issues that we differ on. Okay, but we are not going to uh, make these attacks on Democrats. We're not going to. We're going to attack George Soros. We're not going to have these gross ads up. It is time for the country to. Get- they could have done all that. Could have done. That, yeah. yeah. They need the votes. Sad. Won- yeah. Sad sack policy wonk Paul Ryan could have run on his big tax cut, his crowning achievement. But no, he's not. He's running a series of racist ads through a super PAC where he's calling out an African-American candidate for having released a rap album. He's calling out Aftab, yeah. you know, for ties to terrorism. They're the most specious, disgusting, racist things you've ever seen. Like, this is their playbook. They're all running the Trump playbook. Yeah. Period. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down, not do what generations of New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No, you got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P-S-A. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher. And you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. How do you think the media should cover this? Are they doing it well? You know, Republicans are obviously pushing the message here that both sides are to blame for the rhetoric. I mean, I think they're like, I was apoplectic a week ago during the caravan discussions because I thought that they were just getting led down this road of manufacturing a crisis because it was politically helpful to Trump. I think we've gotten away from that because of horrific events. I think a few things in this instance, like one, um, there is a sense, I think, that threats made online maybe or conversations online aren't as real or aren't as dangerous and that is completely false and there are all these people i think who who live in a world where they follow these white nationalists and these white extremists uh, online have been trying to sound the alarm about this stuff and we need to take that a lot more seriously like i i keep thinking about in 2009 when we were still in the white house dhs released this report that had actually been commissioned by the bush administration about the rise in right-wing extremism and radicalizations and basically it said you know, these economic conditions could lead to increased radicalization and recruiting. They felt reminiscent of the economic conditions in the 90s that led to Timothy McVeigh. People were scared of more gun control. They were stockpiling weapons. And the thing that was sort of 
politically explosive was that they were trying to recruit veterans. And basically, the right-wing PC police shouted down this report Remember and that. made us walk away from it. And instead of having a real conversation about what was happening and, and the threats from within, we dismissed it as, you know, somehow targeting Republicans. Like, I think since 9-11, we've been so conditioned to look externally for threats and the things we fear from like ISIS and Al Qaeda, and that's understandable. But we really do need to focus more on these right-wing, homegrown extremist groups because communities of color, the Jewish community, they're being literally terrorized right. and murdered. I think Democrats should handle this. Does this change the dynamic of the midterms in any way? It does feel like over the last week there's been a shift where. Uh, a, things have gotten a lot scarier. Yeah. Um, but B, the focus has gone from, you know, Trump was able to keep the focus on, first first it was Kavanaugh, then it was the caravan. But, you know, it, it's, a funny thing happened here is Trump said, oh, he wants to make this uh, election a referendum on him because <laughs> he was out there doing all these rallies. He's out there giving all these interviews and he's figuring like, I'm the one who can juice Republican turnout because they all love me. So he's put himself at the center of this election. Well, now... He got what he wanted. And now the midterms do seem like they're more of a referendum on his actions, his behavior, and his words, which in the wake of two or three tragedies, right, a, a mass assassination attempt, the worst attack on the Jewish community in U.S. history, and the killing of two African-Americans in Kentucky, in the wake of this, he has not tried to bring the country together. Nope. He has not offered any consoling words. And in fact, he has doubled down on his attacks on Democrats and the media. And I'm just wondering, like, what, how, how should Democrats handle this in this last week? Um, boy, it's hard to know, right? I mean, notable this morning is the Gallup Trump approval track. Last week, he was at 44 approve, 50 disapprove. This week, he's at 40 approve, 54 disapprove. So yeah. the country is not happy about his handling of the the IED incident, uh, I don't think they've come to process in polling at least what happened over the weekend. Uh, you know, so that's just sort of the context of what's happening in the country. I do think this midterm was always going to be a referendum on Trump. Yeah, uh, I think that Democrats should continue running on health care and the issues that they know people care the most about. But I do think that m most of the country thinks he needs to be checked, and that's yeah. going to be even more salient of a message now. Well, and, and, and whether they believe that or not, certainly I do think Democrats should make that part of their closing message Definitely. along with health care and everything else. Like, if you give Donald Trump a Republican Congress again, if he wins this election, if Republicans win this election, he will absolutely take that as an affirmation of his behavior. Oh, absolutely. That what he did was okay and that he can continue doing that. And for the next two years, he will say and do whatever he wants mm -hmm. um, because the Republican Congress will let him. They have, they have basically shown that no matter what he does or what he says, they will stand behind him 100%. Right. So even if, even if you sort of like Trump, even if you think that the economy is going great, even if you've said to yourself, you know what? I liked him. I'm going to continue voting for my Republican congressman who I like. You have to think to yourself, what we have seen these last two weeks will only get worse over the next two years if this man on November 6th gets an affirmation that his behavior is okay. And then for the next two years, he will do whatever he wants. He will shut down investigations. He will take away people's health care. He will pass more tax cuts for the rich. He will deport more immigrants. He will do whatever he wants. He views everything in terms of winning and losing. So he thinks that uh, the, tr the way he treated uh, Christine Blasey Ford is okay because Kavanaugh got confirmed, right? So like yeah. that's the only lesson he ever learns. And I do think that there are a lot of people in this country that like kind of like Trump's anti-establishment stuff, but that shows up in polls that like, I don't like the tweets. Well, the tweets are a big deal. Yeah. When the tweets are inspiring, radical, frightening, violent people, then that should really rise <laughs> to the top of your yeah. concerns and how you're voting. And look, we've seen this happen before too. His lowest approval ratings came after Charlottesville, after the Helsinki press conference with Putin, where mm -hmm. he stood with Putin. Just moments where he has totally dropped the ball in the worst way in his role as leader, as national unifier, as president. I mean, like people in this yeah. country do want someone who is going to console them during times of tragedy, who's going to try to bring the country together, who's going to try to rise above partisan politics. He can't do 
any of those things. He, he's a part-time president. We know this because we read all the stories. Like the guy has like literally three hours uh, in the middle of the day routinely where he just does nothing but watch TV and tweet, right? So we yeah. know that he's not doing the job generally. There's part, I think there's parts of us who are like, oh, that's probably good that he's not more effective. But you know, you can't hide when you've completely abdicated your role as a moral leader or as sort of a healer for the country. And I, and I do think Democrats in, these, in this last week should think about including in their message when they're on the stump, like it is, it is Democrats' job in a way because there's such a vacuum of leadership on the Republican side to show people what real leaders sound like and look like and what real leaders do. Mm -hmm. You know, like I keep thinking of um, Andrew Gillum's you know, closing statement in, in his uh, debate with Ron DeSantis when he said, you know, in Trump's America, we've been led to believe that we've got to step on our neighbor's shoulder and their back and their face in order to get ahead. Well, I reject that. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think we've got to give people a reminder of what, you know, America can be when it has real leaders who are willing to rise above all this bullshit, you know, and you saw, I mean, you saw some of this in the wake of Pittsburgh. You know, CBS reported that Dimas Celebarios and his family drove to Pittsburgh from New York City. Um, this is an African-American family who were also first responders to the Emanuel AME shooting in Charleston. And he said, you know, all faith communities, no matter nationality or race, need to stick together and support each other in times like these. There was the leader of an Islamic center in Pittsburgh announces um, that the Muslim community has raised more than $70,000 for yeah. synagogue attack victims. And of course, think about the Jewish um, center itself and that and the Jewish organization that was helping refugees who were Muslims that were targets of the attack. Like there is there is good in this country. And I think Democrats have to remind people of what that is in this final week. Just a real quick point on the refugees. I mean, Trump has demagogued the the concept of helping out refugees. He has right. made that somehow an evil or, or bad thing. Right. Because yeah. he claims they're all ISIS. I mean, when you think of like the history of the Jewish people who are stateless, you know, who have, yeah. you know, like had to flee the most horrific thing you could ever imagine in the Holocaust. I mean, there's no more disgusting undercutting or, or misunderstanding of like the history of the people or a nation or a country right. full of fucking refugees or people, you know, fleeing something. So anyway, he ne no, he, awful. he needs an enemy to win. Yep. He needs people angry with each other and afraid of one another. And so, you know, whether he's pitting men versus women in the Kavanaugh hearing, whether he's trying to make people afraid of foreigners and brown people and immigrants and now uh, the press and the media and Democrats and mobs, he needs this enemy to keep going. His enemy, Trump's enemy, is unity. Yeah. <laughs> this country coming together. And voting. And this country voting and people engaged and people supporting each other, even if you don't look like each other or pray like each other or love like one another. That's the worst news for him. <laughs> yep. That's how he doesn't win because then there's no need for Donald Trump if people fail together, you know? So he is going to try his fucking damnedest in this last week to make sure that he calls out all the enemies he can. Today it's the press. He's sending 5,000 troops to the border because he hopes the caravan will back, be back in the news. Nonsense. He, they are desperate for people to find enemies, to hate one another, to be angry with one another. And I think what Democrats have to do is show the country that there is another way. Yeah, there are good people. There are a lot of people showing grace in this moment. It is deeply unfortunate that our president isn't one of them. Yeah. But we can elect really good people to Congress who can make it a better place. And, uh, and you will be talking to one of those people next. Uh, J.D. Shulton, who's running for Congress against Steve King in Iowa, joins us after the break. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. 
the team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls. Don't forget about any one poll. And the thing that we try to tell everyone in every episode of this podcast is a poll that has Biden up to and a poll that has Biden down to, they all tell you the exact same thing, which is this is a very, very close race. The goal of this podcast is to help people understand polling and freak out about it just a little bit less. Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber-exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at cricket.com slash friends. On the pod today is J.D. Scholten, who is running for Congress from the great state of Iowa in the 4th District. J.D., thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you because I, I love Iowa. I Like, truly, I lived in Iowa for a year in 2007, and I know that I was hanging out with a bunch of liberal caucus goers uh, and that other parts of the state are far more conservative. But, you know, I personally found that Iowa nice is not just a cliche, it's real, and that actually politics in Iowa is one of the best brands of politics I've ever seen because it was thoughtful and substantive, Um, which is why I can't understand how that state continues to reelect Steve King. And I've been to your district. I've been to Sioux City and Fort Dodge and Ames and Spencer and Clear Lake. And I do struggle to understand how so many good people vote for a person who I truly think is a bad human being who is doing doing and saying things that are harmful to our nation. And I'm curious what your take is. Yeah, I mean, his reelections are complicated and there's not really one thing you can really point to it. But I was blessed enough to play baseball in seven different countries. And within five minutes, you knew I was from Iowa. And, and I guess we share this love of Iowa. And uh, it, being a fifth generation Iowan, and, and, and I know this district, I don't know the other parts of the district as, or other parts of the state as well, but like this district, uh, we're hardworking uh, people and it just it's very frustrating to have this uh, person as our representative and uh, when he tweeted out we can't restore our civilization with other people's babies my phone just blew up from people who aren't from Iowa who aren't political and they asked is this who you guys are and I would love to say that he's not a uh, representative of who we are but at the same time that's in his job title and so yeah. uh, that's that was kind of the first step of a long process of uh, how I'm here today. Yeah. Well, you know, they're just people who are listening right now and, and are trying to decide what candidates should I support and who should I help out in, in the last days of this campaign. I want them to take a look at your election, not just because you are a thoughtful, smart, highly qualified individual, but staying on Congressman King for a minute. Like if he lost, it wouldn't just mean one fewer white nationalist in Congress. It's the disproportionate power of Iowa in the presidential nominating process means that Ted Cruz made him his national campaign co-chair, right? Like every Republican goes through the state and has to kiss the ring for Steve King. And like, I, I do think it elevates him in a way that is that is damaging. Exactly. And, and it's so frustrating because of that. Uh, he's gotten away with a, a lot more than what a just random uh, uh, fringe uh, representative would normally get. And it's it's and here's the thing: like he endorsed Ted Cruz for that presidential election, and Ted Cruz uh, is the number one anti-ethanol uh, right. opponent in D.C. And this district is the most producing ethanol. And so it's it, it, it it's just head scratching. But here's the encouraging thing: is is his favorabilities in this district are uh, he's only favored about 40 percent, 42 percent, whereas unfavorability is equally the same. Wow. And so uh, we've been able to take this national race or this race that from national uh, ratings programs that have traditionally a 20 point race and uh, five different national rating programs has taken this off of a safe race. Hmm. And what we were doing uh, 
I just followed an old school style of politics. Uh, my two political heroes are, are local uh, Democrats, Senator Harkin and, and Berkeley Bedell. Hmm. And in 1984, they used to represent 80% of this district. And what they did was just get out to the people, prove that they're trustworthy, and prove that you're going to fight for the people of your district, and you're going to earn votes regardless of voter history. And, and that's what we've been able to accomplish. And we did a 39-county tour. We just finished our third 39-county tour and did wow. a town hall in all 39 counties. And we call it the Camp Fake Showing Up Tour. <laughs> and we and it was great. We, we went into Dickinson County that Hillary didn't get 30% in, and we had 183 people, and it was just electric. That's awesome. And, and we're, getting, we're pulling these crowds, and there's a buzz that's happening here. That's like the Beto O'Rourke strategy. Um, okay. <laughs> Enough about we, Steve We've been King. referred to him quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. So you grew up in Iowa. Uh, you left for a while to go to college and play professional baseball. What, tell us about that experience and, and what brought you back to Iowa. Yeah. I mean, I didn't make a dime, but it was an absolute blessing to being able to play all over the, uh, the world. But uh, uh, like many first-time candidates, I was influenced by what happened in the 2016 election. But then right after then, I went to go visit my grandma, who's my inspiration, not only in my life, but for this campaign. And the last thing she said was, you need to move back to Iowa and take care of the farm. Hmm. Now, I, I was raised in Sioux City and the farm's four hours away and, and we rented out to a family friend. But that ended up being our last conversation. And at her funeral, uh, I felt that pull to come back home. And so I started uh, to look for a job. And the best job I could find in the Sioux City market was... Uh, $15 an hour and no benefits. Hmm. And here I was working in, in technology and, and, and as a paralegal in innovation in, in one of the largest, fastest growing economies. And I was just, I, was, I started looking into things and uh, let's just say that I got more and more fed up. And I, I finally said, you know what? I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. And there was nobody in the race for about a month. And I said, uh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Uh, but I'm going to launch this campaign. And we started very humbly. But again, we were focused on getting out to the people. And what we started as a grassroots movement has just continued to grow and grow and grow. So on that point, I mean, about struggling to find a job in Sioux City that, that could pay the bills. I mean, people, if you've been to Des Moines, you know that it's like it's a bustling city and there's all these tech jobs and it's like innovating and doing cool things. Why do you think that those types of jobs don't exist in Sioux City? And how do you think Congress could help um, you know, improve things or, or create opportunity there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, we need to focus on rural development. And part of the issue is we don't have rural Democrats anymore. Mm -hmm. And I fear that we're becoming the party of the whole foods party, or there's a lot of talk about that lately. Uh, and we don't have a whole foods in my district. And so we're trying to, uh, be that, that, Democrat. That's not a coastal Democrat. That's an Iowa Democrat. Just working hard, uh, working people. Just try to engage with them and, and say, "Listen, we're talking about economic populism. We're talking about uh, raising the not only raising the minimum wage, but in this district, we need to be fighting for fifty thousand and sixty-five thousand and seventy-five thousand dollar jobs." And, and part of that is bringing technology throughout the district because Iowa State graduated fourteen hundred students last year. And only 258 are still working in Iowa. Wow. That's what's happening in Iowa right now. That is the Iowa that I know. And I'm trying to change that narrative. I moved back because I wanted to change. And, and a lot of people like that. I have friends who want to move back, but they're, they don't want to raise their family in a place where they can't earn an income to yeah. support their family. Yeah. And so that's what we're out here talking about every day. So when I lived in Iowa, and again, it was a long time ago. It was like 08, 07. Um, it did feel like the state was sort of trending more progressive. You had a blue collar base, especially in the northeastern part of the state. But then there were, you know, socially it was becoming more liberal. I was shocked in 2016 when I looked at the results and I saw that Trump had won a lot of those sort of like eastern uh, counties along the river uh, and even, you know, some more of the urban areas. I mean, do you think that the demographics of the state are shifting in some sort of way? Or like, what do you, how do you account for Trump winning Iowa? Uh, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's something that uh, it's going to take a lot of hard work to get it, get it back. And right now, yeah. what, what you saw is there's a lot of great candidates that said, you know what, 
this is not the way we want it to go. And a lot of younger candidates, and that's what's encouraging about it. And at all my town halls, I started off every uh, stat with, or every town hall with this stat, that uh, the average person in Congress is 58 years old with a net worth of a million dollars. I'm different. I'm 20 years younger, and I'm a million dollars short of that average. <laughs> and, and, but that's people relate to that because it's it's you know I was blessed to travel the world, but at the end of the day, I'm just a hardworking guy next door that that's just trying to uh, get this district going back in the right direction where we can have a, a, a good quality life and and have good schools and and pay for health insurance. I mean, it is really cool to see people like you stepping up, like people like Abby Finkenauer, who is running in the first district in Iowa, who's 29 years old saying, you know, enough of the leadership we've had for a while. It's, it's my turn. Like what, what got you to that tipping point where you thought, all right, I'm going to take the plunge and do this. Um, honestly, uh, there's a lot of things, but, but listening to the podcast, uh, I, I, I was influenced by the pod because I, you guys gave me the ability to say, you know what? I can do this. And I can't sit on the sidelines. And uh, to be honest, I was not that good a baseball player, but I worked <laughs> my tail off. <laughs> and and that's who I was known. I was a grinder. And, and I knew I could change or have those skill sets uh, to go straight into running this campaign. And and we thought very uh, strategically early on on how are we going to do this in a, a race that's traditionally a 20-point race? How can we not only compete but beat Steve King? And uh, we... We did a lot of unconventional things. We've uh, went very strong on Twitter uh, and really had that social media presence where at the same side uh, or on the other side, we were really just getting out there to the people and, and really doing uh, pushing hard to go to all 39 counties. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a five hour drive east, west, three hours north, south. Yeah. And so uh, it, the, the typical model for a campaign where you just race, stay at home and fundraise, 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 it doesn't work in a, a district like right. this. Right. And so, um, and uh, I mentioned my two political heroes, uh, Senator Harkin and Berkeley Bedell. And for folks who don't know Berkeley Bedell, uh, do yourself a, a favor and look him up because he's 97. He's, he's an amazing uh, person, but he would win in these ruby red areas by 60%. Yeah. And his reelection poster from 1982 or 84, we don't know what quite uh, what years, but it talked about the 1% controls our government. Does the 99% have a chance? And it just like wow. he was uh, ahead of his time, yeah. and and just uh, it's it's been uh, pretty amazing. But also, uh, like we, I pretty much have lived out of my Winnebago that the campaign, <laughs> our campaign Winnebago, because it's made in our district. Right. And I tell folks all the time, I'm the only congressional candidate in America that probably sleeps more in a, a Walmart parking lot than his own bed. <laughs> God, that's awesome. We need like, you know, what we need in Congress grinders. We need people that are going to work hard <laughs> and go to every single county exactly. and show up. I mean, so does that economic populist message, is that what's resonating? Like what's the playbook that people could steal from you if they want to win in these, these ruby red districts? Well, it, it, there's not one easy solution. Uh, I wish there was, but it is so much about showing up in, in, if you just stayed and put your TV commercials on the air, regardless of how wonderful they are, uh, you'll get a few votes, but you're not really going to turn the tide. Mm-hmm. It's having that engagement. And like we, what I noticed when we first did our, our 39 county tour, uh, people were like, oh, God bless you. Somebody should run against Steve King. Mm-hmm. And, and the second time it was more like, oh, he's not just not Steve King. He's actually standing for something. And, and then the third time we see that hope and that energy and that buzz. And, and not only are, are they going to be voting for us, then you, they get other people to vote for you. And uh, I met early on with a Native American activist who lives across the river from me in South Sioux City, Nebraska. And he, he told me, J.D., if you want change, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. Yeah. And once you get uncomfortable, you have to convince others to get uncomfortable. And I tell everyone for 15 months, I've been uncomfortable. <laughs> and just, uh, but it's that fire that's burning inside you. And just, uh, I, can't, I can't just sit uh, on the couch anymore and complain. I had to do something. And and uh, it, it has not been easy, but um, I knew how much of hard work it was going to be, but I didn't realize how much fun I would have. Really? That's great. I mean, uh, just a, a note for people listening and thinking, what's the big deal about sleeping in a van? I believe you're 6'6". Six, six. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and our campaign <laughs> so motto you know. is standing tall for all. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a tight squeeze and a winnie. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, 
I mean, one last question for you. You know, this tragedy in Pittsburgh this past weekend, it was like the, the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in the history of the country. And you were running against this individual who has sympathized with some of these hateful far-right groups. I mean, how would you describe the urgency of this moment and the urgency of this last week of your race, given all that's happened in the last week? Yeah, I mean, just it, it's so frustrating that we have a representative who David Duke said, God bless Steve King, or a representative that uh, decided to, to endorse a mayoral candidate in Toronto, and then uh, who's, who's a white nationalist, and then he says, oh, I didn't know he was a, she was a white yeah. nationalist. This was like two weeks ago. Then, then didn't denounce it. Yeah. And, and like the bar is so low. Just denounce it. It's not hard. And, and it's, it's, it's tricky. And like we go back to the answer why he gets reelected. Well, it doesn't make it into this district as much because it's a seven uh, media markets are in all partial media markets. It's it's hard to get into the newspapers, mm-hmm. um, and they don't like to print stuff like that. And and so it, it's not that easy to even though like you and I see that, and it's it's a no brainer. But but uh, it's frustrating. Um, yeah. And it's one of those things where uh, if you saw the even the polling shows. Uh, are you frustrated with him? Yes. But will you vote for him? Yes. Like why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> and so we wanted to be that healthy alternative in, in, uh, the Sioux city journal, which my hometown paper, uh, I'm the only non-incumbent that they're endorsing. That's amazing. And I'm one of only two Democrats that they're endorsing. Yeah. And they said, uh, our appeals, not only to, uh, Democrats, but independents and Republicans and, that's what we're pushing this final stretch and we're trying to make sure that we have enough resources to get that message out to say listen i'm not trying to make you a democrat but i'm trying to get your vote because we deserve better in this district damn right that's a great closing argument (laughs) jd yeah i am inspired by your race i'm like the coolest thing about 2016 is the number of people who said i'm stepping up uh and it's people like you who are doing really hard work that's not glamorous sleeping in a van in a walmart parking lot that are going to change the face of our congress and get a hell of a lot of good people serving in washington uh and just make it a better place man so i i'm we're rooting for you um if anyone out here is is listening to the pod right now and they say this guy sounds great we need a six six grinder with a curveball uh in in washington how can they help you out uh you can check out our website and donate on our website at uh, shulton for iowa.com that's s-c-h-o-l-t-e-n the number four i-o-w-a.com all right iowa i can't wait to get back to iowa that's like that's on the uh top of the places to visit in 2019 so i hope we get to see you jd thanks for doing the pod man absolutely good luck out there thank you and and may i just say thank you for uh we're a very uh um, money ball style of campaign and thank you for saving me uh i instead of paying consultants i just listen to you i hope it works out (laughs) 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 oh man good luck thank you again hey i deeply appreciate it see you buddy bye Thanks again to J.D. Shulton for, for coming on the show. We need you to win. That would be cool. Please win. Please win. Steve King sucks. And uh, Dan and Lovett will be on uh, Wednesday morning, and then uh, we'll all be in Irvine for our final show on Friday. Final show on Friday. Thank go you. vote. Thank you for watching. Please go vote. Please grab some friends who might not vote and ask them to vote. Now's the time. Bye. Bye. Bye.